Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the Chase Travis Live Show here on Creative Live. As you know, this show is where I usually sit down with the world's top creators and entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and the like. And today, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Instead of a conversation, a long form with me and another one of my friends or people that I look up to that have changed my life or are insanely impactful in the world of creativity and entrepreneurship, this day, today, I am going to take a break from that format and bring you something I think you'll like to hear. It is, in fact, a keynote, the audio version of a keynote talk that I gave at the Next Web Conference in Amsterdam. That's one of the big European tech conferences. I went over there, had a good fortune of taking the main stage and in front of an audience of several thousand gave a talk that is on the top of mind for so many of us, especially as you know the acceleration of technology has been so good for creativity, for photography, for publishing, and yet there's an element of it, the rise of AI and automation that has encouraged people to ask a lot of questions about the future status of their job and the implications that this technology might have on our careers. There's so many photographers like, wait a minute, now... You know, my $10,000 DSLR has basically been replaced by the phone that's in my pocket. You know, from that level of thinking all the way to entire lines of work, like driving is going to be completely wiped out with technology, AI, you know, autonomous vehicles and whatnot. So it doesn't matter if you're a, a truck driver, a radiologist, or a graphic designer. You've had this moment, I'm sure, of like, wait a minute, what is the, the future of my work going to be? And in this talk, I mean, I get it. You know, I've had that moment myself, but in, in the talk, I subscribe to the belief that creativity has a very unique opportunity in the next chapter of the universe. Um, there are lots of concerns out there. I totally get it. But imagine the power that creativity can have combined with this automation opportunity and how will you stay relevant in the process? You're going to like this talk. So... Again, like most of us, you've wondered a lot if the robot's going to take your job. This talk is for you. If you are a creative, this talk is for you because I believe you have a unique advantage in the next chapter. Before I get into the talk, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on-air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. 
There you go. Now let's get into the show. Technology conference, AR, VR, AI, AL, ML, MF, and MF probably doesn't work, that's MFR. Um, so I've been thinking about all this stuff quite a bit, and when you're at a tech conference, it's sort of unpopular to ask questions about this stuff, but uh, it, it, it occurred to me that I should ask the question, has anyone in this room had their livelihood threatened from the onset the advancement of technology. Anyone? Got one up here. You got, there's a brave motherfucker right here. Anybody else? One. I kind of figured that might be the case. I'll tell you, I'll stand on stage today and say that I had my livelihood threatened at, uh, underneath the onward, forward movement of technology, and it was fucking terrifying. Literally, it was terrifying. Now, I'm going to tell you that story. So I went to college on a soccer scholarship uh, over here in, in this part of the world. You call it football. It uh, doesn't matter for this story. But, and as some backup plans, I was told to go to college and get good grades. And so I studied pre-medicine. And I had the backup plan of being a doctor if the whole professional soccer thing didn't work out. I had another backup plan of being a lawyer because that's what they do if you're hardworking and smart and you succumb to the pressures of our modern culture. So I had all that stuff going for me. And then the week before my college graduation, something happened. And that thing that happened was my grandfather dropped dead of a heart attack. Just days before I was to walk up on a stage like this, get my diploma, and then take the next step into my life. And in that moment, and many moments of course, and moments of catastrophe and fear, uh, there's a silver lining, and the silver lining there was that my grandfather was a hobbyist photographer, as was my dad. Uh, and what he left for me when he died was his camera. So then, faced with what to do after graduation, I was strucken, stricken, strucken, whatever, with the idea that I could actually make a go of this thing that... I had not really embraced, but I knew was a part of me. I had the perfect excuse to ignore school and to pursue a passion. So I did what any willing 17-year-old would do. I threw that camera in a bag with some clothes, grabbed my then-girlfriend, now-wife Kate, and went and walked the earth. We came from the States here to Europe, and everything from, from Portugal to Moscow, Russia, Scandinavia to Greece. We spent some time here in Amsterdam as well, and in short, I started teaching myself the craft of photography, not just because my, my grandfather had died, but because it was something that I was passionate about. And I remember we were very poor. We would eat, uh, eat beans and rice out of a can, tuna fish. The Mars bars you guys got over here are much better than the ones that we have in the States. Um, and those were entire meals. And we would skip meals every once in a while to be able to afford to process a roll of film so that I could see if the work that I was doing had any meaning whatsoever. And it started to work. I would say I was dangerous but not good. And so after that five or six months, I came back to the States. And, and still avoiding jobs, uh, I landed in a little ski town called Steamboat, Colorado, uh, and proceeded to um, invoke the next phase of my life, which was a ski bum, with the, 
sole reason of pursuing my passion as a photographer, still holding at bay, I had decided not to play professional soccer and, and, and had still holding off graduate school and medical school, all the things that the world wants you to do. And I was still very poor, but I was getting better. I had my first sale. I sold an image for $500 and a pair of skis, but I had a lot of work to do, so I turned into a thief. I literally used to break into the local college there in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. I found a loose window. I would close that window every night and every, every morning at 1 a.m. I would push that window open. I would reach in. I would unlock the door and I would let myself in to the lab to develop my film and to teach myself how to print photographs. I went to the library. The net was very, very, very early. It looked like that shit you see in the matrix is green lines and flashing dots. I didn't know how to use that. So I did what I knew how to do, which was work with film. I put everything I had into it, all my waking time, all my money, and I was getting somewhere. I was getting somewhere with the thing that I had left everything. I had turned my back on all the things that the world had told me to do, and now I was going to make it big. So as the career started to swell up underneath me, I did. I took the advice of my peers and moved to a city. At this point, I moved to Seattle where I could practice my craft and where there, were more mar there was more market, more of an opportunity to sell my work. And as I did, the same thing was true. I used to take my wife's tip money because she was waiting tables to help me uh, live my passion. I would develop my film, learn a little bit every day. And then, not dissimilar to when my grandfather passed away, another shoe dropped. And this is the part where I looked at my career as a photographer and realized that my livelihood was being challenged because digital photography was born. And I was largely independent, but I was peripherally alongside of people who were saying this was the end of photography. Oh, photography will never be as good with digital because film has all these wonderful characteristics. And that whole dialogue, that bullshit thing lasted a good 12 months. In the course of 12 months, I went from being able to feed myself with a camera that cost $500 to missing rent, to not being able to pay my bills, to actually being scared for my family's livelihood because of technology. And that's not like me. I have historically been a first adopter. I have leaned into things that, were that I was enthusiastic about. But in this particular world, I was surrounded by a bunch of people who were telling me that this wasn't going to happen, that wasn't the change. The reality is, let's fast forward a few years now, and you know what happened to photography, right? What, ha what, what that digital technology did to photography. I managed to find a way through bite, kick, scratch, to actually upgrade my $500 camera to a $5,000 digital camera. And it did do the things that I was promised. It made things faster. I was able to get images to my clients and they started recognizing me, not just for my work, but for the technology. And then everybody else had those cameras. And then what? And then the differentiator was back to the thing that it always should have been, which is the work, which is the creativity. And today, billions of images are taken every day. Snapchat alone, two and a half billion photographs are uploaded. There are more photographs taken now than ever before. There are more photographers now than ever before. There is more money being made now than ever before. So I think you get the picture. But to this day, the differentiator is the layer of creativity that we put on top of those machines. It is not the machine 
It is not the machine. And in 2009, I created the first iPhone app that shared pictures with social networks. You could add a picture or take a picture, add a cool effect, and then share it. That technology did not change the creativity layer that sits on top of it. And that's a very important thing. If, our, if the first revolution, this is, a, this is a thesis that I want you to pay attention to. This is a thesis. The first revolution was, the, was steam and the industrial revolution. The second one was electricity and production. The third one that we are experiencing sort of now and sort of on the back end of is technology and information. The next one is not going to be an, a, an extension of technology. It's not going to be the robot that was up here on stage. It's going to be the layer of human creativity that decides what that robot says and does, who it serves, where it serves, how and why. I need you to stay with me for a second. So let's talk for, for just a moment about what, what are robots, what are computers, what are systems good for? What do they do well? You, sir, what do they do well? Yeah, there are computers, but what do they do well? They crunch data. They, they have fast calculations. Anyone else? What's that? Yeah, they take anything that's very manual. They can replicate that at speed. They can parse data sets. They can analyze a series of events and extract important things. They're very, very good at anything that's repetitive and remote. And I had a wonderful conversation back, backstage, uh, actually at the speaker's dinner last night, even autonomous cars, autonomous driving is ultimately really simple, right? I mean, for those of you who are building those things, you're like, seriously? No. But it's just a car that goes forward and backwards. It turns left, it turns right. It has to certainly be aware of its surroundings. We don't want it to run into anything. But ironically, the hardest part, this is what the engineer told me, the hardest part of a, an autonomous car driving in a road is other humans. It's the creativity that us shitty drivers by speeding, by cutting people off. That's the hardest part about programming an autonomous car. So it underscores my point that they're still very good at rote, at rote things. Even really complicated things like driving, that's where they're strong. Where are they weak or, by extension, where do humans stand out? Well, robots are weak at things called ingenuity, innovation, when was the last time a robot innovated? I'm aware that there are robots when, when the right hand of the robot bumps into something, it can write code in real time and tell the left hand what to do next time in case the left hand bumps into something. That's impressive, but that is not innovation. That is not creativity. So again, my thesis is that this layer of machines, as wildly powerful as they will be in the next chapter, they are second fiddle to the layer of creativity that we place upon them. So my talk is about creativity, and I think this is the most important thing. If my thesis is one thing I want you to take away, I think that this, this is the most important thing, and that is that creativity is the new literacy. And now what do I mean by that? In order to understand that, I need to break that down for you. What is creativity? Creativity is taking two things, one thing that might not be related to the other, it's the ability to see a connection, an unlikely connection between those two things, putting them together to make something new and ideally useful or beautiful. That is creativity. That is something that separates humans from every other species on the planet, specifically, obviously, from machines. So 
when we can talk about creativity, we can look at a photograph by the great Ansel Adams, say, of a, of a national park um, in, uh, in, in, in the USA and say, that is true beauty, that is art, that is creativity. We can listen right now if I put the Beatles on, you would know that that is creativity, that is, that is something that's beautiful, that is someone who sat down and put a series of notes together. You can look at a painting of, of Jasper Johns or Jean-Michel Basquiat, I just sold a painting yesterday for 110 million. You can say that that's beautiful and that's creativity. But what about actually other kind of creativity? Everything in this room, let's talk about design for a second. Everything in this room, the chairs you're sitting in, these monitors, this space was designed by someone. Probably someone no brighter than you and certainly by someone who's no more creative than you are because creativity is a habit, it is not a skill. But all those are creativity with a small c. Let's talk about other types of creativity. Is the creativity that Dr. Martin Luther King, how he solved or pushed through the challenges of racial divide that the United States had in the 50s and 60s? Wildly creative solution. How about when Felix Baumgartner, that Red Bull dude, went up in the balloon and jumped out of that thing? Wildly creative expression of what a human being can do. Athletic prowess. So I think you understand now that if I say that, that E equals MC squared, that is theoretical science plus creativity. If I point the wheel, point at the wheel, you say, wow, that's creative? Yes, that's absolutely creativity. That is mechanical engineering plus creativity. The light bulb, that is electrical engineering plus creativity. You see, there are so many people in this audience who think you aren't creative. Here's a sad story that if, I, if, we, if this is one massive third grade class, and I say, who wants to come up on the stage and draw me a picture? You know how many hands goes up? Every fucking one of your hands goes up. You're like, Phew. And then you ask that same question at grade six, you know how many hands go up? Half as many. And you ask them when they're 12 and when they're 15 and when they're 18, by the time they're 18, there's two or three hands that go up. So this is not something that is trained into us. It is something that we are training out of us so when I say creativity is the new literacy, on the creativity part, I've told you what it is. I told you what small c creativity is, but it's really the big C that I want this group thinking about. The big C is this, that the biggest problems that face our planet today, the biggest problems that face our species will be solved with creativity. The machines cannot solve the problems without us. The fact that there are a billion people every day who go without clean drinking water, a machine is not gonna figure out how to do that. A machine is going to play a role, but it's a human being who's going to put two unlikely ideas together to solve a problem. We will use the machines to help us. And yet why, if we're, if we're acknowledging, if you buy my thesis, why are schools being defunded around creativity and physical education? If we're saying it's the most important part or at least a critical part of the solution to the problems that we will face as a planet, problems like climate crisis, humanitarian crises like are in Syria, those require creativity at their core. So if I say that creativity is the new literacy, I've given you what creativity is, small c, capital C, 
What I mean when creativity is the new literacy is let's talk about literacy just for a second. So literacy was this nice thing that existed maybe in the, let's say call it 1000. You know, we had a nice, um, in the speaker right before me, referencing Gutenberg Press. Before that time, there was a couple thousand people that could read and write. They were clergy, they were aristocracy, they were royalty. And it was a very small group. But that group, there was a lot of interesting things happening. Boom. Glutenberg Press, that translated that small group and had dramatic impact. It was one of the few things in the last couple thousand years that we can point to that was a game changer. Some of the things that fell out of that change is infant mortality rate plummeted, life expectancy, new, completely new arc. Things like critical thinking, science exploded because you could write things down and reference them and hold people accountable. Now, that change in literacy happened specifically because the people in that day and age, even feudal tribal shit, they realized that if they invested in their literacy of their people, whether it's at a nation or a tribe level, if they invested in literacy, that it was better for everyone in their tribe. So I'm standing on stage here telling you that creativity is the new literacy, and the thing that I'm asking is for you to recognize that creativity is that same fulcrum. It's the same lever that we could choose to invest in or choose not to. Right now, we're dramatically underinvested. There was a robot up here when I came in to look at the venue last night. The robot was talking. It was walking on stage. And everyone was enamored with that. And yet we throw around words like innovation and we stop or haven't been investing in creativity. Remember that creativity with a small c and creativity with a large c are directly correlated. The science is completely clear. Mark Runkin from University of Georgia, the brain surgeon who plays music and cooks is a better brain surgeon because their craft, their creative craft, creates new neural pathways in their mind. This is, the science is very, very clear. So, you can see that I'm asking you to enlist yourself in this, what is, it's, it's not something that's being overtly attacked, and that's what's so scary about it. You can look at something that's being attacked and say, we gotta fix that. But it's more of an erosion or a lack of understanding of what's actually going on. So creativity is the new literacy. That's the one thing that I want you to take away. Now, I got three more things. Thing one is recognize that this is meaningful. We have to own this. We have to agree to not be afraid of the jobs that are going to go away because are there jobs that are going to go away when there are no more bus drivers, when there are no humans in cars? Certainly, there's all kinds of jobs that are going to go away. But we have to believe that they will come back in new, interesting, and different ways as they have almost every time in the past. So I need you to believe in this and I need you not to be scared. Thing two. Hmm. I wonder if I should ask you about this. <laughs> well, I can go to think three. I'm, I, I got two ways I can take this speech. I'm looking at my time here and it says I got 45 seconds. I'm wondering, I'm gonna give it to you. I want you to realize that lifelong learning is the most important thing toward creativity. But what I mean by lifelong learning is that if our parents had one job, we will have five the next generation will have five at the same time. 
So if that doesn't freak you out, and, and the answers aren't at the school down the street on the hill, the brick building covered in ivy. That's not where you're going to learn to do five jobs at the same time. It's in areas like this. This is the new learning, folks. Companies like Creative Live, you heard that I was announced as the founder and CEO of this company. Companies like that. The internet, YouTube. These are the, these are the ways that the future will be yours. I have this fear that we have a, a reliance on a system that no longer delivers the things that it was asked to deliver. Those systems were based on the factory and the farm of the 1900s. They're not here, they're not your friend. They're not something that I'm trying to throw rocks at up here, but if, if number one thing is, is, is asking you to be aware, and number two is asking you to be aware of lifelong learning, number three, and the last thing I'll ask is this, it's not a revolution if not everyone can participate. You see that shit that's going on in the United States? Nasty. It doesn't have to be a political speech for me to be up here to tell you that it's bordering on catastrophic what's going on in our political system. 26% of the people, 26% of the eligible voting population voted for this man. I won't even say his name. So what do we learn? We learn not that we have 26% of the people that we should hate because they don't have the same values as us. What we have to realize is there's 26% of the people, at least in the US, who weren't feeling like they were brought along. So as we're up here talking about the layer of technology, we're excited about computers, we're excited about AI, AR, VI, VR, I can't even say all the fucking acronyms. We have to bring everyone along with us. This device right here, if this is a switchblade, I don't know, the, the translation is not going to be very good, but a, a Swiss Army knife, sorry, a Swiss Army knife. So in the U.S., a Swiss Army knife is a knife that has all kinds of blades and all kinds of stuff. Just pretend that it translates well here. Just nod your head. Come with me. The camera on this phone used to be the toothpick. It was a nice to have, right? The reason you loved your phone is because you wanted to talk on it. And then you wanted to text on it. And then you had the internet at your hands and it became... And now... What's the most important part of the phone? The camera. AR, VR, now I'm remembering all these things. AR, VR, uh, photographs, video. Have you ever watched a teenager communicate with their friends? Are they typing out long sentences? This is the future of the camera. There are a billion people who are using this device that don't know that, who don't know how to use those things. The Bitmoji. The menu last night at the speaker's dinner was printed out in emojis, for God's sakes. It was beautiful. Thank you, Boris. Incredible. My point is this, that creativity is the new literacy. We cannot leave a whole generation of people behind. There are a, a billion people we need to educate. There are a billion people for whom, if we bring them into the conversation, the conversation will be richer the conversation will be more fun. And the last thing I'll say is that more than anything, I, I, I became aware of this problem when technology removed the livelihood, my livelihood for a short time. I think we're gonna lose a bunch of jobs, but I think the choice of what the future looks like is up to us. Are you including others in your technology discussions? Are you paying attention to the, to the, the future? This revolution that I'm talking about, 
the machines are great, but the machines are only great if we're great. So what are you going to do in the next chapter to make it so? I'm Chase Jarvis. I want to say thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.